Hey everyone, welcome back to the Go-Getters podcast brought to you by Go-Getter Marketing and Media, ggmm.io and our good friends over at On Milwaukee. Today, we've got a good episode on the Q4 slash 2022 economic outlook. So if you're wondering what is going on in the markets during these times, what could happen, maybe what to do with your money, how the markets are being affected by this post-lockdown environment and recovery, which is a weird environment right now, this will be good for you. We also get into COVID, politics, supply chain, concerns around China. I might throw some crypto questions at you. (laughs) Inflation, the workforce, a lot going on. Luckily, I have a a very smart guy sitting next to me, Brian Andrew, second appearance on the podcast. Brian, thanks for joining me again today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And for those of you who don't know Brian, he is the executive VP of Wealth and the chief investment officer over at Johnson Financial Group, Wisconsin's largest privately held financial services company that recently opened up a a really nice new office in the Cathedral Square area. Right. Yeah, it's beautiful space. We moved in a week ago today. So we moved in on Friday last week and it's just awesome space. We're on uh, Cathedral Place on the southeast corner of the square. Yeah. Oh, right overlooking Jazz in the Park right. in the summer, which will hopefully be, be back this year. Uh, Jim Pop making some moves. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Uh, it's nice to be able to put a little bit bigger presence, stake in the ground in Milwaukee. And um, we've taken the top two floors of the building. So we've got great space, room for uh, our teams and across all the different disciplines of the organization to work together. And I think it creates much more collaboration for the benefit of our clients. So we're looking forward to continuing there. Yeah, it, lo- it looks like a beautiful spot. I'm looking forward to getting an exclusive invite right. up there at, at some point in time. Might need to bother Mariano or something. <laughs> do you do you let that guy in there or is he, he- kind of exiled into the suburban offices still? He's, he's not allowed to put anything in his office. Okay. Keep the space clean. Yeah, that's pro- probably a good idea with that guy, John Mariano, friend of the show. Okay, we'll, we'll dive in. So let's start with the pandemic and the continued impact to the economy in, in a couple different ways. We've been seeing a lot of supply chain issues. Also, companies are having a, a hard time finding workers right now. A lot of people just thought it was the the very low level positions that we're collecting unemployment, but it's really our level stuff too. Yeah. It's really across the board. If, you know, if you look at, we were talking earlier about the um, job numbers that came out today and the numbers were low. So less than 200,000 new jobs created over the last month. Uh, But the thing that's amazing is the participation rate, meaning people that are eligible to work, um, that are working is less than 61%. So there's a really large percentage of the population not working and lots of reasons for that. Um, But I think one of the biggest is we still have um, a mismatch between skill sets needed and skill sets that people have. And, you know, we're we're all well aware of what's happening from a technology perspective, um, but that technology is changing the way we work and the kinds of skills we need. Um, And we're just living that, mismatch and it was exacerbated by the by the pandemic. Do you think the mismatch will change at all in the near future? And and what else is affecting it? Every business owner I talk to seems to be complaining about the uh their difficulty in hiring and they're really kind of scratching their head at it. 
Yeah, I think, you know, the interesting thing is we've heard for a long time the desire to raise the minimum wage. Um, and I think what people miss a little bit is the fact that the pandemic has done that. And so that's part of the problem. So just just think about um, two, two big, big companies that employ hundreds of thousands of people, um, Amazon and Walmart. Between the two of them, they've probably hired a half a million people in the last um, 12 months. If you look at the, the minimum wage at Amazon, it's now over $18. If you look at the average starting wage at Walmart, it's $24 an hour. Um, and both companies have bonuses, signing bonuses um, available. So when we talk about hospitality, you know, you, you and I both know people who own restaurants and hotels and that kind of thing, and they're having a really tough time finding people to work. Well, part of that is because people have left that industry and found jobs elsewhere, um, those two companies being an example of that. So I think that, that that's going to take some time to work through because of the size of the change in the workforce and the length of the pandemic. Yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. And you bring up Amazon and Walmart. Also, a lot of manufacturing companies that didn't have to be for even just local ones. I remember driving through kind of central northern Wisconsin over the summer and just seeing billboard after billboard of come work for us, $3,000 signing bonus, just things like that, that you never really see. Right. Yeah. And it and and manufacturing companies in particular are having a really hard time finding both skilled and unskilled labor. And I think that goes part of uh, goes back to part of what I think we we don't hear enough about, which is how do we close the skills gap. So if you think about, you know, we talk about spending on um, education as an example. We don't talk enough about the kind of spending on community college or trade skills or uh, technical colleges where people learn a specific skill. And that's really where we have a major, major mismatch in terms of skills needed versus those that people have. And then you have these employee issues, but all these companies are facing supply chain issues across the board as well. Can you touch on that? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel here? Yeah, the, the supply chain issues are real and, and they're pandemic related. Um, and a lot of it is just related to the fact that we globally, we sort of shut the global economy off. We had businesses closed, people staying home, um, uh, businesses going out of business as a result of how long they had to be closed. Uh, and then as we started to see um, the pandemic get better, um, we started to see businesses reopen and people come back to work. And that all happened very quickly. And so there was a lot of demand, um, but not a lot of um, product um, to, or service to be able to fill that gap. And so you ended up with this problem from a supply chain perspective. So a good example is if you look at um, normally off the, the coast of L.A., uh, one of the major ports for the United States. There might be 10 or 15 ships at anchor. Um, w there was news about this oil spill uh, last week out there, and it was a function of a ship that was at anchor that had dragged anchor and, and caused the pipeline to open up. Uh, but that's because there were over 80 ships offshore uh, because they just can't get in and get unloaded and go back to East Asia and get more of what they need. And that's just one example, right? But there's supply chain issues like that all over the world. Um, I think what people think about is that that's permanent. 
and it's not. Obviously, the system will clear itself. Um, it will cost money to clear. So example, given what I was just talking about with LA, um, the cost of a container from Shanghai to LA was $2,500 two years ago, and today it's almost 25000 So that cost has to be borne by the company that's shipping product, and they either have to pass it along to customers or take it in the form of lower um, margins. And so those are real issues, but I think the most important thing is that the system will clear itself at some point in the future. Yeah. And so despite the supply chain, the labor shortage issues, markets have been doing great this year. You got the S&P, it's up 20, 20 points, Dow Jones and NASDAQ, both up about 15. How is that all? Yeah, it's been a, a crazy year that way because last year we had a huge sell-off in the first quarter. I think when I was here last December, we were talking about the fact that the market rallied very quickly after April. Um, and started looking forward to faster economic growth. And we've certainly seen that this year. But two things have happened recently. So one is we had this sort of um, mini pandemic where numbers have gotten worse over the last several months. Um, people have, I think one of the reasons we have such a low participation rate in the labor force is there's still a lot of people who either don't want to go back to work because they're not comfortable with the work environment given the pandemic numbers or can't because we still have this situation with schools where kids are still, um, you know, if there's an infection in a classroom, the classroom gets quarantined and somebody's got to be at home. And so that's a real challenge for people. Um, but I think the, the, the reason I point that out is we've seen a decline in economic growth because of this sort of recovery in the pandemic, meaning higher infection rates. Um, but think about what that means for next year, which is that we'll see another sort of boom recovery after we get past the level of infections, then we've already started to see a decline. So we may see another big pickup in economic activity first or second quarter of next year. So stocks are kind of looking forward to say- Got it. So the, so the market's reflecting that a little right. bit right now. Um, personal question, would you consider someone who's down money in the markets in 2021 a complete idiot? No, I think that it's a really good question. I mean, I had I had some tech stocks that did really hot in in 2020 that I hung on I to, and then I'm pulling these numbers before this episode, and then looking at my holdings, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, it's it it's. It, I, I know that's not the kind of financial well, advice you guys give yeah, over at no, Johnson Financial. No, but. I and I wouldn't consider someone. I mean, the one thing that's really interesting about the market this year is that. Um, there are a lot of winners and losers. Like if you look at the numbers you just read, right? looks like the market's up 15%. Everybody should be making money. But you sort of peel back the layers of the market and look at different sectors, the energy sector, materials, technology. Um, there are a lot of misfires in there. So companies that haven't done as well in terms of stock price performance. Um, and then some that have really taken off like in healthcare and pharmaceuticals. So so it's it's not that hard if you're not diversified to have not done well this year because the uh, difference between winners and losers is pretty wide. This okay, year. thanks for making me feel slightly better. Um, although that's no not going to do anything to my bank account. But anyway, um, got to touch on crypto real quick. So Bitcoin's up essentially 
80% since the end of the year. It went went up to about 60, then came back down. It's in the 50s again now. And Ethereum has shot off this year. It's leveled out a little bit and gone. It's it's fluctuated. Mm-hmm. It's volatile, as we all know these are. What are your current thoughts on the cryptocurrency market? Yeah, so a couple of things. One that I think is is really interesting is that you go back several years, cryptocurrencies didn't really trade with the rest of the market. So meaning that, you know, whatever was happening to stocks, it did, didn't really matter in terms of what was happening to cryptocurrency prices. One of the things we've seen this year is that the relationship between the two is pretty tight, meaning that when people want risk, um, they're buying cryptocurrency, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and others and driving prices higher. Uh, when they don't want risk, like we saw a month or so ago, um, when when Bitcoin traded down into the the thirty thousands, um, they're selling that just like they're selling stocks. So that tells you that there's more institutional money in cryptocurrencies, and that just means that the way it trades will start to look um, more like and continue to look more like the way stocks trade or other risk assets. So do you think it's stabilized a little bit as an asset class? I I think, yeah, I would say, I don't know about stabilized because we just talked about the fact that prices have gone from 60 to 35 and back to 50, you know, in a month. But (laughs) Better uh, than 60 to 10 to back to 30. But but more accepted for sure. I mean, I think people just think about it as another asset class that they can participate in. Yeah. So I want to touch on China. There's a bunch of stuff going on there right now. can you break that down for us? Uh, there, it's it's really fascinating um, what's going on there. And I think it's kind of break it down into three things. So the first thing is that um, people talk about this all the time. China joined the World Trade Organization in 2001 and for 15 years benefited from huge overseas investment in China's manufacturing infrastructure. So everybody in the world wanted to manufacture in China. And China's infrastructure benefited from that. And in a matter of 15 years, they urbanized uh, several hundred million people and created a middle class that never existed before. Now, fast forward to today, and you have this variety of things happening. So companies have gotten a little too big for um, the government's comfort. Uh, if you think about the tech sector, we've seen a huge increase in regulation in the tech sector. We saw Jack Ma disappear. And we saw Jack Ma disappear for four months. Um, recently, uh, the Chinese real estate market has been in the news because the regulators are trying to crack down on speculation and leverage in the real estate market. Real estate market in China is almost 30% of the economy. Uh, it's only about 17% of the U.S. economy. So when they do that, it has a pretty big impact. So you have this sort of conflict between the Communist Party and capitalism, I think. Um, and that's starting to cause foreign investment to dwindle and move back on shore, which is probably good for jobs in the U.S. Um, but it makes for some probably volatile times for investing in China. Um, and thinking about what will happen to uh, the way the government controls companies in China. Uh, So that's something to keep a pretty close eye on going forward. Any main takeaways for people in the U.S.? And I know there's 
be the real estate crisis. I know Biden just put a, a virtual meeting on the books with their leader as well. Yeah, I, I think the thing to keep in mind is that um, it's a big economy, second largest in the world to the United States. It's 1.4 billion people, which means it's a big consumer market. Um, and so that means that there are opportunities to invest in China and to benefit from companies' growth and profitability. The risk that that investment comes with is the fact that the government can change its mind, as we've seen in the last 12 months, about how uh, industries or individual companies operate. Um, and so you just want to make sure you're getting paid for that risk when you're making investments there. Mm -hmm. um, switching over, can you touch on inflation right now? Yeah, inflation has been big, big news all year um, because it's been a real thing um, this year. But I think mostly because, you know, if you think about the last um, 10 years almost, we just haven't seen inflation. People haven't really talked about pricing pressure in, in any major sectors of the economy. Um, and it's, it's a big deal now because it's everywhere. Um, so there's this ongoing debate about whether it's permanent uh, prices will just keep going up or it's temporary. Um, and, and I like to say the answer is it's both. Um, and what I mean by that is go back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the labor force and the demand for labor. Um, with this unemployment report today, unemployment is below 5% again. So that's great. Um, but we also talked about the fact that there's still a lot of people not working because of this skills mismatch. Um, and that just means that wages will be higher. So the cost of labor will be higher probably for some time. So that's that's inflation. That's wage inflation, which isn't all bad because it means there's money for consumption. Um, but some of what we see is is just transitory. So we were talking about energy before as a good example. I think gas prices are up 27% this year. And the reason for that is that there was a lot of energy infrastructure turned off during the pandemic because nobody was flying, nobody was driving, boats weren't going back and forth across the ocean. Um, and obviously, all that's happening now um, and at a, a faster rate. And so all that infrastructure has to get turned back on, so to speak. Um, but that doesn't happen quickly. So you have this kind of mismatch between supply and demand, and that's caused prices to go up. But but that doesn't, doesn't ever stay that way, especially in energy. Um, eventually, the price gets to the point where it starts to um, push demand down and prices move in the opposite direction. So it's probably more temporary than permanent. Yeah. And, and capital is still pretty cheap today. Interest rates are relatively low. Not, they're not, not at the all-time lows they were correct, but they're still down there. They're, they're, they're not at the all-time lows, but they're still pretty low. They're still, still very low. Yeah. Um, Across the board, you know, if you think about mortgage rates or right. the yield on bonds, um, interest rates are, the cost of a loan, uh, interest rates are pretty low. Do you see those shooting up to normal levels anytime soon, or do you think they're going to hang down there for a while? No, I, I don't see them shooting up anytime soon. Um, I think they will hang where they are for a while. They may drift a little bit higher. Uh, but one of the things that's sort of interesting about the bond market, even though we talk about the government printing money and borrowing money, and um, is that there's a lot of demand or bonds. So kind of we were talking about supply and demand for energy. The same is true of, if you think about um, 
the aging population that wants less equity in their portfolio and more fixed income, just as an example, um, they need bonds. If you think about pension funds that are facing the same thing, they need bonds. If you think about um, government sovereign funds, they need bonds. And so there's just an incredible demand for debt. Um, and even though we've seen the growth in that, I mean, when you look at individuals and companies sort of balance sheets and the cash they have, it's never been better or higher. So um, I don't th- I don't see it as much of a problem in terms of pushing rates higher. One other hot topic that's been pretty hot the whole year are the proposed tax changes from the government. Can you touch on those? Yeah, that's that's probably the hottest debate in, in Washington is how are we going to spend money and then how are we going to pay for the money we spend? Um, so first of all, there's a lot of conversation about the debt ceiling and people kind of forget that the debts, you have to raise the debt ceiling to pay for what you did last year and the year before. And we all know that the government spent over $6 trillion just helping the economy with the pandemic. So raising the debt ceiling is really just paying for something already done. Um, you have the infrastructure bill of a trillion and proposed social spending programs of three and a half trillion. And that's really what the tax debate is about. How are we going to pay for that? Um, but I don't think we're at the point where we know. There are a lot of um, policy uh, issues out there that people are talking about, but whether they get passed or not is still, I think, a pretty big question. And I would say whether they get passed this year, we're probably 50-50 on whether that happens or not. Those changes are basically for families making over 400 k to go from 37 to, to 39 or 42%. Right. I, the, the majority of the changes affect people with higher levels of income or people with more um, assets. Um, but having said that, I mean, there's some changes in there that, you know, would affect um, middle income families um, and probably create a higher tax burden for them as well, as well as some some discussion about raising corporate taxes again after the reduction we had in 2017. The middle class raise, I haven't heard too much of that in the in the headlines. Is that kind of flown under the radar a little bit? Yeah, so it, it really comes down to um, how you classify somebody as middle income or, or upper income. And if you think about family of four with uh, the income over uh, $140,000, um, there's an impact and that could e- either be in the form of less credits, which essentially is paying more tax um, as an example, or could be uh, in the form of a higher corporate tax that gets passed through and prices to services and products that that middle income family needs to buy. So the, there's you can't raise corporate taxes without having that affect everybody is maybe another way to say it. Much how much of an impact would raising corporate taxes have? Would it have a massive impact or it seems like there's so many loopholes that a lot of the big corporations kind of just skate by them? Yeah, that I, I think that's well said. So especially if you think about the largest companies, um, the largest companies that are global, uh, the capital that they have and the way they make money kind of seeks the lowest tax rate in the world. So to the extent that there are lower tax rates, they'll find them. Um, smaller companies don't have that ability if they're mostly doing business here in the U.S. 
Um, and so again, to the extent, you know, if you, you have, a, if you own a company that has 50 employees or a hundred employees and you raise the corporate tax rate, that company is going to bear that burden a lot more than Apple will, as an example. Mm-hmm. So we covered quite a bit today, the pandemic, geopolitics, inflation, um, tax policy, any closing thoughts or things to really look for that we didn't cover heading into 2022 and to close out this year? Yeah, I, I think the the most important thing I can share with the audience today, is because you and I talked earlier about the fact that 2022 is a midterm election year. Uh, and so we know that um, the amount of discussion uh, around politics, the amount of time people spend trying to draw comparisons between parties and using economic information uh, to wage um, a discussion about politics is going to go up substantially. Um, and and politics doesn't move asset prices as much as people think they do. So as it relates to the stock market or investing in bonds or whatever you're investing in, um, I think it's interesting to pay a, attention to politics. It's important to understand those policy uh, decisions that are being made, but keep in mind that you're investing in companies. Pay more attention to what they're doing and how they're doing than worrying about politics. And and I say that because um, in a midterm election year, we'll 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 hear a lot about politics. I'm sure we will. It's it's been very nice having a break from hearing about politics. At least it's felt like one after what we went through last year. All right, Brian. Thanks so thanks so much for coming on. It was great seeing you. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. Everyone, that was Brian Andrew, the Executive Vice President of Wealth and Chief Investment Officer at our friends over at Johnson Financial Group. And thanks so much for tuning in today. If you got a lot of value out of this episode, please share with your friends, like, subscribe, review. That helps us out. Brian, you create a lot of good content for JFG as well. Where can people go to find that? Yeah, if you go to johnsonfinancialgroup.com slash insights, you can find the content that we create. A lot of good stuff on there from you and, and others on the team over there. So thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. And just a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Go Get It Marketing and Media, ggmm.io, and our good friends over at Pond Milwaukee.